You're listening to the Everyman Podcast. This is episode 18. Everybody, sorry we didn't get a podcast out last week. The lead up to the Yellowstone Expedition just made things a little bit scrambly and I didn't get it out in time. Um, <clears throat> but no worries, I'm, I'm going to uh, release the second half of my conversation with Owen Marcus pretty soon, probably within the next week or so. Um, I'm sitting here in Montana feeling like a freaking king right now. Uh, we did our first uh, expedition. You've been hearing me talk about it for months and lead up to it and, you know, say how big of a dream this has been and how important of a thing this is to me. And uh, we crushed it. We, we just absolutely crushed it. We had 12 guys fly in from all over the country and um, we spent the first couple nights in this big, beautiful house up in Big Sky and uh, did a bunch of everyman group work and, and created this just tight like close knit team. And, uh, I just can't believe how much everybody showed up. We we rafted the Gallatin river and had a blast, ate some amazing food. We had a chef come in and cook some, um, bison tenderloin and just, I just had these amazing meals. It just, it just started off with such a bang. It was so fluid. And so I, I, I hate to use the term. It's, it's pretty extreme, but it was really flawless. It was just really incredible. And we got on the, we got on the trail, um, early on the third day and spent four days of, of just pure wilderness bliss. We hiked hard. Uh, it was, it was a great itinerary. The first day we hiked about 11 miles, climbed about a thousand feet gain in elevation, um, and camped at this lake in uh, Yellowstone national park. And it was, it was like we were in the amphitheater of the gods. Like we were camped on this lake there was mountains all around us. There was this giant golden meadow right in the middle of this bowl. Um, we swam and we fished and, and, uh, just, uh, I feel like we dropped into, uh, an alternate universe for a while. And that universe moved at a pace of time. That's different than, uh, how it moves here in the, in the landed world. And it was just incredible. And, um, second day we hiked up and over a ridge. We kind of gained the, the ridge of the Gallatin mountains and then started down the other side and it was challenging. It was, it was legit. You know, we weren't, we weren't messing around. Um, it challenged guys and the challenge of both living out there and the hike itself, you know, it did what I knew it could do and what I saw and witnessed and experienced it doing when I worked with kids in the woods way back in, in that it is, uh, it is just simply a, uh, important beneficial rite of passage to do something that hard and to do it that hard within a group of guys that support each other in the way we did, we could have done anything. We could have gone up, we could have gone up any mountain. We could have accomplished any task. I really feel like, uh, nothing would have been impossible with a group of guys we had. And on the third day we climbed Electric Peak, which is the tallest, highest point in the northern Gallatin range, or maybe the southern Gallatin. Anyway, it's a dominant mountain in the area. It's it's by far the highest point around. And we had guys out there that had no no uh belief that they could do it. And we got everybody up to ten thousand seven hundred feet about and um about half the group scrambled up pretty sketchy last approach to the very tip top. And it was just, it was just a beautiful thing. Some of the pictures we'll be sharing on Instagram and Facebook and 
um, both my personal site and the Everyman handle. Uh, check those out. We'll be sharing a bunch of those as as we move forward. And the last day we, we hiked out and then we went and just hung out in the Boiling River Hot Springs and we had an amazing meal at Chico um, and just closed up this amazing circle, this amazing experience we did. And I'm walking away a different man and I know everybody else is. I can say that with confidence. I, I'm, uh, I don't think I'm maximizing or exaggerating that at all. It was just incredible. And it, it was, I brought together all of my experience. I felt like I was playing full out the entire time. My, my goal before we went was to hit the red button. And what I meant by that was just like, give it everything I got and more and push myself farther than I could. And and we did it. I feel like we, we all did it. And, um, what I want now is more. I want to do more. I want to do several of these a year. I want to do them, uh, in other locations. I want to, I want to bring more guys in and, and, uh, I feel like the, the energy and the ball that we have rolling with every man, it's just, it's just increasing. It's just growing. And, uh, so super, super, super grateful, super excited, uh, ready for more. And it's just, it, it's, I can't get past the fact that when I'm out there living, you know, sleeping, eating, crapping everything in the woods there's just a there's a sense of being alive and just a general sense of happiness that I have myself I can't I just it's it is just I can't deny it and it had been a long time since I had been out actually you know 99% of the time I've spent in the wilderness in the last four or five years was was in the context of making tv and film and although that was a blast and that was a lot of fun and I got to see some amazing places, I was always very focused on the job itself. And this time I felt like I was more connected to the natural world than I, maybe I ever had been in my life. And, uh, I, man, I can't tell you how much that's worth to me. It's incredible. So we have, um, a couple other things I'll throw out there. We have a weekend retreat in the Berkshires of New York. Well, I'm sorry, it's not New York. It's actually um, Massachusetts, but uh, the Berkshires, kind of in between Boston and New York, it's accessible to both. We have a a weekend retreat coming up the first weekend of December, and you can find details about that at uh, everyman.co. And I think we're about, I don't know, between a third and a half full there. So if it's something you're considering, I would um, probably get on it pretty soon. These weekend retreats are, um, it's so cool to see how they have sort of evolved and what they are. And now in comparison to this week long retreat, this week long expedition, they're very similar in many ways. And, uh, you know, obviously in a, in a weekend we can't do, you know, a five day or four day, four night backpacking thing. But, but what we can do is get together and hit it really hard and really make some change and drop in really fast. And we get very real and get very honest and, um, in the context of the outdoors, we do out, outdoor stuff there too. We'll go on hikes. We'll do some trail work probably, um, you know, have some fires, things like that. The weekends are an incredible sort of entry point into what we do. They are intense. They're really fun. They are uh, very effective. Um, we've had nothing but just in- incredible reviews of those so far. So I highly encourage you. I'd love to meet you, whoever the heck you are listening to this. Come on out to our retreat. Give it a chance. See what you think. 
Uh, the other thing I'll mention is that we are gearing up to do a crowdfunding campaign later this fall, and I don't have a whole lot to discuss about it right now, but um, we're ready to ramp up. We're ready to um, get bigger, and, and we're going to need resources in order to do that. Um, we really feel like, and we're getting validation everywhere we go right now, that we have something that's really important and can really help um, people individually, help our society help communities out and it's time to ramp it up. So, um, you'll hear me talking about it more. I don't have a whole lot to say now and we want to have, uh, some really great, you know, return and perks for everybody who, who does help. Um, and other way, uh, other ways you can get involved or help right now is just to, just to spread the word, spread the word about the podcast, give us a review if you have a moment to do it. And, um, I don't know, you know, just follow us on Instagram, all that good stuff, and let's get involved. My guest today, his name is Charlie Whittingham. He was the first guy to sign up for our expedition, and the feelings that I had working with him and being out there with him in the woods the whole time was that, dude, I really want you to be my uncle. <laughs> that's that's the overwhelming feeling I had. He was the oldest guy on our trip, and... um just he 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 was just so there for everybody at at one point um on our climb up electric peak he literally um motivated and got a couple guys up that hill that probably wouldn't have got up themselves and he has an amazing life story he's been an incredibly successful guy in in many many ways and i'm really honored to have him on here and i'll i'll let him and us kind of explore more about who he is and what he's all about so enjoy. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dan. Um, <clears throat> as we get into this, Charlie made a request, which uh, initially pissed me off, but then I think it's a good challenge. So do um, you want to repeat it, Charlie? What was your request for this podcast? <laughs> My request for this podcast was for us to... to take a stab at getting through this one uh what we'll call f-bomb free <laughs> and uh it's just a just a just an effort at uh, expressing ourselves without some of the um some of the f-bombs that we sometimes use so i'm into it i'm i'm up for it my mom um <clears throat> didn't tell me directly but she told my wife elise that uh Dan, he sure swears a lot more on his <laughs> podcast than he does in real life. And I actually don't know that that's true, but it might be. But yeah, let's do it. Let's give it, <clears throat> I'll give it a whirl. So if you catch me swearing in this podcast, let's see. You can just full-on kick me right in between <laughs> the legs. <laughs> no, I don't want that to happen. I'll give you the high side. Okay. <laughs> and then we could also, we could if we do happen to slip, we maybe we'll tally him up and we'll... Uh, put a dollar in the f-bomb jar done and we'll, done deal we'll put it towards yeah. duke's education <laughs> his, his english degree <clears throat> great so um charlie and i just got off the trail a couple of days ago charlie was on the ex, uh, yellowstone expedition and we'll have some time to chat about that i'm sure uh, but i'd like to kind of start where where i like to start and that's to hear more about who you are in a in in a very uh straightforward and uh vulnerable way and start with your early life yeah where does charlie come from and and how you know in a 
I think one of the things that um, struck me about the expedition is that we came together as a group and the the depth of the group mm-hmm. came so quickly. It really just, boom, it was there. I was really, um, I don't think surprised because I had anticipated some of that, but I was taken by how quickly we created that um, safe place yeah. for people to open up. It, yeah. it happened quite quickly for 14 near strangers. That's always a dream of mine. It's the, uh, <clears throat> and with my weekly group that I sit with, it's it's interesting how three hours of time can go so fast. And uh, the, I guess that, you know, just with logistics and guys trying to say their piece and all this stuff. And my hope for all of our groups and everything is that we, really are able to practice like dropping right into something mm-hmm. and, and same goes for this, you know? So yeah. I guess that's a invitation and a, even a slight challenge to, um, yeah, bring us there, Charlie. Who are you? Sure. Um, Charlie Whittingham is the handle I go by, but my whole name is Charles Arthur Whittingham the third. And I'm actually very proud about that, proud of that, because I'm named after my father and after my grandfather, and I'm happy to say that my son carries the same name. Oh, so cool. It's kind of nice. Um, sometimes can sound douchey, but <laughs> I'm proud of it. Um, and on that note, it's kind of funny because I was named Charles. I was born in Chicago. Illinois on the kitchen floor at home. Whoa. Which is kind of a fun thing that I, you know, obviously had nothing to do with it and I had nothing to do with my name either. So there's things that, uh, that I think are kind of fun. And that's one of them. Um, I was born in 1958, the second of four children. Um, and I come back to my name because I was named Charles and all the people in my family call me Charles. But uh, somewhere along the line, quite young, about four, five years old, I decided to start calling myself Charlie after my grandfather, whose name was Charlie. It's and my grandfather's name, too. Yeah. And I just I really loved him dearly, dearly, dearly. He was a sweet, wonderful man. And uh, my dad's name was Chuck. And he was much more of a Chuck from the fifties. <laughs> and I think we all know that, that, uh, that type of personality. Um, but I always found the name Charles and Charlie a lot like some formal names like Joe, Joseph and Joe, uh, that they are very formal in the formal and very informal in the informal. Mm. And I kind of like that. Wait, 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 back up, back up. I don't know a Chuck from the 1950s. What, what is so, it? What is that? I think very much that uh, my dad was a real uh, classic um, man, handsome, athletic, uh, very ambitious. He grew up in kind of a modest um, household in Chicago and had really deep ambition in his life to be successful. Um, uh, I think when I think of Chuck as a name, I think of it from like the forties and fifties, sort of a, uh, your classic, um, stoic mm. kind of man. Um, uh, the, all the, all the, maybe the stereotypes we have of the, of the quiet, you know, unemotional, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, my father was a was not a cold, but he did not share his emotions. Yeah. Uh, until much later in life, and um, we didn't think anything of it. I think in at the time, I don't think many of us in America thought anything of it until maybe I'm 20 years old, and I realized I'd never told my either of my parents that I love them. Wow. You know. Yeah. Um, not that I didn't love them, but to actually say the words. Yeah. Um, so we, uh, we, I was born in Chicago and my dad worked, um, for fortune magazine. And so I have an older sister. We're all two years apart, two weeks apart, which is kind of wild. <laughs> we're, we're really, uh, very specifically spaced apart. I have an older sister and a younger brother and younger sister. So there's four of us and we, um, we moved around a lot as uh, a young family because my dad was uh, uh, worked at Fortune magazine, and at that time he was he got moved to New York, and then we moved to San Francisco, and then we moved back to New York um, in about four or five uh, or six year periods. Got it. And I actually loved that whole experience. I found moving super exciting. Um, not everybody in my family shared that excitement. Mm. My older sister uh, had a harder time. But I think when we look back on it, uh, we had each other as friends. So we would move and so we were very close as kids. What was exciting uh, about the move for you? What, like, what was the feeling in the moment? It's, it's uh, funny you ask that because um, <clears throat> I'm also born on May 21st, and which is a cusp date between Taurus and Gemini and a couple of years ago uh, I had my birth chart read mm. and it turns out that being on the cusp is very uh, prominent in my chart and throughout my entire reading I was born on a cusp date at a cusp time on the cusp of some moons <laughs> on the cusp of some sun and the woman who read the chart said, I've never seen such consistent pattern of someone who's on the edge of two things. Huh. Wow. And I think that it, that, that I never given it that much thought, but I now realize, I think it's very core to me that, um, I have a lot of interests. I'm eclectic, uh, interests <clears throat> and moving fed that uh, sense of, uh, curiosity. Interesting. Newness, otherness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. I was able to make friends easily yeah. and, um, I was always the new kid <laughs> or the, you know, and moving in the sixties from coast to coast, things were really, really different. You know, yeah. going from New York, which was very f kind of formal and traditional, Moved out to San Francisco, outside San Francisco in Mill Valley in 1964. Uh, we lived there until 1969. Um, and I was, I was, I guess, five to ten years old. And I would say that the time I spent in Mill Valley was incredibly formative for me. <clears throat> it was, uh, you know, living in the redwoods, riding our bikes to school, surrounded by all the excitement and some might say craziness of San Francisco in the sixties. Right. 
But from, I mean, it was really just ramping up, right? Yeah, I mean, that was like it was headed into the heart. Of it the, was the heart of it. Yeah, yeah. And I was surrounded by it. Um, we lived uh, up the street from the Grateful Dead. We there were Hell's Angels down at the bus depot. I ran track at uh, Tam High School and was coached by a bunch of bodybuilders at the time. And they were, we talked a little bit about this on the expedition, but uh, when I was in Mill Valley from 64 to 69, from five years old to 10 years old, uh, to 11 years old, I was surrounded by some of the most interesting uh, men in my life. Uh, That's wild. Guys that either taught me sports or taught art or taught, um, uh, you know, tennis. But it was a time when we would just get up, uh, have breakfast, say goodbye, either go to school. I would ride my bike or walk to school. And then after school, I made my way down to Boyle Park. And we just hung out there. And there was always something going on. There was hmm. um, some organized and disorganized activities but it was a totally wonderful sense of community it sounds like it was safe it sounds like it was <clears throat> really safe amazing um, is what i mean my the sense i get of it is is like kind of a boy's paradise it, I, I really um it was i loved it and i think i i got my first taste of nature there uh because we were really surrounded by woods and it was you were free to walk up on the fire trail yeah which goes up mount tam um, and I remember at the time, obviously, uh, uh, the Vietnam War was going on. So I mentioned this in our share on the expedition. I had guys that were coaches or mostly they worked for the park and recreation department. So they were just guys that were mm. interested in working with kids. Yeah. And, uh, this one guy in particular, I remember Jim Weiner. he had just come back from Vietnam and he was, uh, thinking about becoming a priest a catholic priest and so he was sort of going through that but red flag no i'm just kidding i'm sorry <laughs> I, had to, I had to say that i'm sorry yeah that was probably he, that's okay but but the reason it it struck me is that he was incredibly open and in sharing about his uh con, 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 conflicted about doing this oh and got he would, it you know oh, wow. sit and talk to me maybe he didn't think i knew what he was talking about but he would talk for hours about what, what, what he was struggling with. And Whoa, really? He would take us to the beach and we, you know, we'd all load up in his little Volkswagen and whether we were going to the beach or just playing ball or teaching me basketball, he would have this open dialogue. I mean, I, maybe it was like a monologue about, huh. and I was just, I didn't realize at the time, but it definitely sunk into me. But, um, wow those guys really had a huge impact on me because they were really uh, strong, masculine guys that were uh, very tender of heart. Yeah. Um, I like that word. I, I like that, that way to describe a guy like that. Yeah. Tender is a very... Um, and, and they were... You know, they were going through their own stuff. I mean, either they were coming back from the war. They didn't, they weren't going on traditional paths. They weren't going to business. They were 
trying to make a life as athletes or coaches or mm. bodybuilders or actors or mm. musicians. Um, and, and I, I know that they're, uh, the time I spent with those guys, um, and they were all probably in their twenties, you know, I'm 10, Yeah, yeah. but it, it made a huge impact on me. I thought like, this is the kind of guy I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my analog is in a, is a much <laughs> quieter, smaller place. But when I was that same age, I had my Taekwondo instructor who came into town and, that was exactly like the, the end of that story of mine is that he, you know, at that time in that moment, he was a model of a man that yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to be like him, not I want to be him. I didn't want all of him, but there was parts that he really just shared in the most natural mentorship fashion, yeah. just by being there, just yeah. by having an interest, by doing what he did. My, <clears throat> so culturally or in, in society at this time, I mean, I don't know. We don't, I'd rather keep this more personal, but I do want to ask this question. That is there in male culture in the United States, there's a big uh, event, I would say, that happened in and around the uh, Vietnam and, and the and Woodstock and the whole hippie generation and all of that. And I believe that after that event, a bunch of men decided to do things a different way. They decided that they could feel more and do, you know, be more tender perhaps. But I also believe that societally or culturally or, you know, somehow either how they expressed it or how culture reacted, reacted to them doing it, 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 it created a new category of the soft man. It created a category of the long hair, you know, more sensitive, more thoughtful, sensitive. And I, and I believe that what it did also was labeled them as not having more traditional manliness also. Um, and so, and so I guess this is really fascinating to hear of these men when you were a young boy, right at the cusp of that societal shift, these men. So were these men hippies or were they, was it pre hippie? Was it during, was it not? They were, yeah, that's a, it's yeah. a really good, um, the first group, and I and I say this like between 64, 65, 66, 67, most of the guys that were in, you know, that were, that I was exposed to were uh, really on that cusp of coming out of the 50s and going into the 60s. They yeah. were, uh, and the reason I, I know that is that this one guy in particular, and his name's not, doesn't matter, but he was an extremely handsome and worked out he was a bodybuilder okay and he was yeah. a badass and i mean it he yeah. and he was he was athletic he had an intense presence he was our track coach and he came out as gay whoa in 67 or 8 amazing and he it was the first person i knew or was exposed to that was gay and he was everything you know everything opposite what the stereotype of an effeminate right person was I and mean, this guy was he was jacked physically yeah he had a presence to him that was intimidating but kind wow and he he went about his life as this is who i am and this is what i feel dang and no one matters except 
not not Noam Nandis, but me, but he said, I have to live like this, and I'm going to. And I took a huge amount of strength from that. Yeah. And what a model. Yeah, exactly. What a I model. wanted to be a, you know, athletic, uh, manly man with feelings. Yeah. Wow. Because I think it's very powerful. Wow. And uh, were you able to, I'm just curious, did you bring that home into your home? Yeah. Did it really affect you? And, it, and, it really did because yeah. I came yeah. home and I think from a very early age and both my folks have mentioned this to me that I was sort of Charles in charge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A very Charles in charge character. I was, uh, my older sister is, a absolutely wonderful. Um, but, but a, a more timid soul, uh, very, very intellectual. She's an actress, really capable, but she was more timid and I, I don't know what it was about it, but I just felt totally empowered from a young age. Cool. That, cool. That I could be, you know, I could take care of my brothers and sisters. I could mm-hmm. help my mom clean the house. I could do this, that, and the other thing. And I, and I liked, it. Yeah. I, I, I like yeah. to be of, you know, like kind of in charge. I'm a little, yeah. little bossy that way too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I did bring it home and my dad, um, it was a really big personality. He, uh, like I said before, he was a huge pr- uh, presence in our lives because he was really, really handsome, really athletic. He was uh, uh, nearly an Olympic sprinter. He, hmm. he tried out. He had he uh, had Olympic level times in the in the hundred yard dash and wow. two hundred. Uh, he was very proud of his accomplishments, and he's a very proud guy. But he's also really, really, really. Um, self-centered and so it was all about him yeah when yeah when we were a family and i think all of us for a long time competed as as kids do for their parents attention yeah. and uh acknowledgement we had plenty of affection and my our, our mom was an absolutely amazing angel of a woman mm. who uh unfortunately died on the younger and, but we had her for, you know, our full growing up. She died at 67. Okay. Um, okay. but I was really close to my mom. Yeah. So I always had, a, I felt like I had a sensitive side from her. Yeah. Uh, and so that was California. And then we moved to New York in 1969, which was a fairly, um, tumultuous move for the family and for all of us because we were going from this very very idyllic yeah yeah idyllic nature-based uh and again san francisco area very very sensitive place and we moved to westchester county new york which was extremely traditional preppy Really? Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't caught in the the, I, the I'll upper give valley. A perfect of... example. Okay. And for, for me, my attire has always been a big deal. Like, what am I gonna wear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I show up at school in what I think is an awesome outfit of like white jeans 
and uh, sort of like a one of those uh, polo shirts, but without the collar. You know, very kind of surfer. <laughs> okay. And I think I had some Vans or sneakers. And I go into sixth grade at Robert E. Bell School in Chappaqua. And everybody in my class is wearing uh, khakis and mm. penny loafers and button-down shirts. And I really felt, I was like, whoa, <laughs> am I in the wrong outfit? <laughs> yeah. Um, my sister, older sister, did the same thing. She she went to school in knee socks and a skirt and a blouse or a T-shirt. And all the girls were in, you know, used makeup in stockings. Got and, it. And so we were just really, it was a real cultural um, clash. Yeah. Uh, and, and I found it kind of, I found it really amusing cause I got kidded and I'm a kidder and a, and a, you know, uh, I, I give a lot of crap and I take a lot of crap. And well, I, the word I, you use on the exhibition is a BSer. Uh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Look, did you see what I did there? I didn't swear. There you go. Like Good job. Uh, so that first day we came home from school and, uh, I just said to my mom, I said, we got to go shopping. We got to get some new clothes. My sister came home, went to her room and cried all night. Uh, and you know, my mom was just like, okay, this is going to be harder than the, the last few moves. Mm. Cause you know, yeah. we were growing up and we were more, we were more sensitive to what other people thought about us. Yeah. Um, but that was a big deal because we moved, as I said, from a very, um, what I'd say is an innocent, uh, childhood and then moving to New York in 1969 and all that was happening in New York was a very, it was immediately a more mature adult world. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, we would spend time going into New York City to go to the theater. And at that time, 69, 70, 71, 72, New York City was not the cleaned up version it is today yeah my i'm parents, so curious i would give anything to do a time machine to go back then so many people um ask me about like new york in the 70s because they i think there's a grittiness gritty there's a fascinate fascination with the grittiness yeah because it was gritty yeah we would go as family to broadway um because my folks love the theater and thank thankfully exposed us to it early and often and it was uh another kind of defining thing about our family. But we would go to the theater and after the theater, we'd walk back to uh, either the train station or where our car was parked. And we'd go by all the peep shows and, hmm. and uh, hmm. uh, crazy stores and see people on the street that were, you know, yeah, down and out. And, and I actually personally, I, I became fascinated with urban life. I was uh, totally drawn to, in particular, black urban life because this was the time also of like black exploitation. Yeah. Uh, Superfly, Shaft. Uh, cool. Gordon Parks. I was totally drawn to the music, to the culture, to the fashion, to the sports figures. And in New York in the 70s, you know, it, they were rocking. Yeah. We had uh, the New York Jets had just won the Super Bowl. And you got the whole Joe Namath vibe. And then uh, the New York Mets 
won the World Series. Huh. And that was, the, you know, completely from nowhere. They were called the Amazing Mets and came from nowhere to win the World Series. Then that fall, that winter, the New York Knicks won the basketball championship. Yeah. So at the time, it was like New York was like, you know, champion town. Yeah. And uh, I love, I, I was totally up to my ears in the whole thing. I was into sports, uh, and we we were into sports, and we were all into like fashion, like uh, you know sneakers and huh. and uniforms and huh. so it was it was a really really again that time in my life was hugely influential, uh, hugely fun, and. I was incredibly curious about the seedier part of life. Yeah. Specifically what part of the seedy part? Well, there was a lot of, you know, at that time too, like uh, heroin addiction mm. was was a big problem. Uh, and thankfully, I never tried heroin. And we'll probably touch on that later on because it's probably one of the few things I didn't try. God, yeah. but I was, um, I was, I guess fascinated might be the wrong word. I, I felt drawn to the, uh, the destruction, you know, empathetic way. Not that I want, I, I felt like I wanted to help people yeah. that were suffering mm. because you could tell that the poverty, the sense of hopelessness was so evident in uh, the black community in the seventies, hmm. it, it was like they were, you know, they, they, I think it just felt like they were really trapped in poverty, in drugs, in organized crime. Like they, they were being fed the, uh, they were being fed in a way that was keeping them down. Got it. <clears throat> And I just felt a sight, a sight, like a sense of social injustice. Wow. And, uh, did your, did your friends and community have a similar feeling about that? Yeah. 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 Cause we would go into the city and we would seek out, we didn't go to the city to go to Rockefeller center, you know, at by 13, 14, we were in the city, Times Square, <clears throat> uh, way up later on 15, 16, we'd go up to you know, East Harlem. Yeah. Uh, well, I got to pause you. I totally just had like the most clear deja vu that I've had in a couple of years. I had a <laughs> sitting here talking about New York and wow. All right. Well, you, you, yeah, and you know, deja the vu. same side, you know, you worked in the well part of the city that was challenged. Yeah. In a very different time. Yeah. In the, in the man, 2008 to 2010. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, uh, but I guess to drop a level deeper there is, yeah, what was the internal state? Um, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm building this picture, my own movie of of you as a kid, and I'm and I'm sort of feeling it and juxtaposing it with with the you here, and it felt like you were blessed with a really uh, this is the wrong word, and I don't. I'm just going to say it anyway, but like almost a winning dis disposition. Like it, if it, it feels mm. to me 
Like, and, and, you know, I don't, and I'm sure there's harder things and, and things that weren't so good too, but it feels like you were able to step into your family and into relationships and to places in your life and locations and really engage and really experience and share. Is that, is that fair to say? I think that's very fair to yeah. say. Um, and I do think that it's a, it's exactly how you framed it. Uh, it was a blessing. Yeah. However, yeah. I got delivered. I came and, and I think you could tell this from my, um, I'm, I was, I've always been a fairly, uh, emotional person. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember like in little league, we're just having like the, the coaches goodbye and I'm tearing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's always been part of my personality too. Kind of, uh, emotional, um, and not afraid. I, I I learned at a young age that I couldn't stop that feeling if I was going to tear up. That's so amazing. So I said, "Yeah, the hell with it. I can't. I'll just roll with it." And yeah. and you know, I've had all the all the natural kidding and and uh, her, you know, joshing about it. You, you know, yeah. people used to make fun of me, but I always thought, I don't care. I mean, I would go back to this guy in California. I'd say. I know guys that are sensitive right. that would tear you limb from limb yeah. if they needed to, but they don't have to. Right. <laughs> but the other thing to your other point is that um, the point of things coming easy to me, or I appreciate what you said, uh, a winning disposition is, is also funny because it cuts both ways. Mm. Um. I think it was my mom at one point who said to me, just don't, you don't have to struggle. Um, and it's kind and don't act like you're struggling. Just be happy and go through your life and find, you know, don't, don't make it a struggle. Wow. And it really resonated with me. And, and, and like I said, it cuts both ways because things always did seem to come easily to me and uh, along with me not wanting to like show a lot of exertion people thought well he's not trying very hard he's not Mm. he's not he doesn't look like he's even trying got it so coaches would always be in my grill about you know give me more give me some and i'd be you know working as hard as i felt like was working but it didn't seem like i was working hard and i was always in a pretty good mood and uh i got into work later on professionally and people are like you just don't seem like you ever have to struggle for anything <laughs> and i said well of course i have my own struggles but i just yeah you know i'm not yeah. around here huffing and puffing and um, so do you feel so two questions there one um and you can choose whichever direction but did you allow yourself to struggle when that was real or did you keep that at bay did you allow yourself struggles if they were there or other direction what was the relationship to other people's struggles? And, and you kind of brought this up, like with the societal really feeling other people's I feel, struggles. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really proud of myself that I was empathetic mm. deeply. Like I felt other people's, I think part of it had to do with moving around. So I knew what it was like to be the new kid yeah. or the douche or the awkward guy. And so I was very proud of myself and 
that I was a friend to lesser popular kids uh, that were either, you know, not considered cool or not athletic or dorky, nerdy, any of those things. And I stood up for them. And I, I, I was really proud of that. And I feel like that carried through, um, and, and going back to what you said, I actually also feel like I've been blessed with the, my time of life. The period of time that I've been living has been such an incredible time. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, yeah. the 90s. Yeah. Everything from like the <laughs> cultural, social, sexual revolution into the insanity of the 70s, you know, drugs, disco, punk, you know, then the then did you get the did you just like fully embrace those every oh, single one of them? Gosh, I man, was just I I was into it, it full force. Oh uh, man, I, I'm going to somehow plug a USB cable from my brain to yours to feel <laughs> to experience those things. That's incredible. Well, it, it was almost I don't I didn't even think that much about myself because it was. Anybody I talk to my age that we grew up with, yeah, we all feel the same way. We were just like, it was so going off to use a current expression everywhere. Yeah, and it was, you know, we went through the Vietnam War, Watergate. When I was, uh, it made me want to be a journalist because when oh, I was wow. fifteen, Watergate happened, and I thought that an investigative reporter was was the perfect job. Mm. It was sort of. You know, very cool job. Used your brain. You had to figure out puzzles. It was secretive and cool, and and yet the objective was to dig out the truth. Cool. And so I wanted to be uh, Bob Woodward or Carl Bernstein or both of them. Cool. And I was fascinated by journalism, and also my dad working at Time Life. You know, he brought home the magazines right. that we all. Uh, so we were surrounded by magazines growing up and, and journalism and the business of journalism and advertising. What was, I'd have no idea about this, but were magazines, uh, something of a new phenomenon at that time or had they been going no, they, on for No, they a were while? probably in their prime. Okay. Um, yeah. you know, time magazine, I would say maybe life magazine as a weekly in the fifties was, was literally like pre-television. It right. was the place wow. where everybody got there. Weekly news uh-huh. in a visual format. Cool. My dad ended up becoming publisher of Life Magazine when it came back as a monthly in 1978, and that was also like hugely uh, influential on our family's life. Wow. Because he became like a wow. minor celebrity. Wow. And and he loved that life. He was he is a uh, world class name dropper. Yeah. And but also a world class <laughs> like. Uh, socialite he was once uh and i don't mean to be rambling here i'm all over the map but i followed my father into the business yeah uh, happily proudly and excitedly um he was so social that his buddy once said to me he said your father likes to go out so much he would go to the opening of an envelope (laughs) (laughs) and then later on he he his place, uh, his his hang was 21, the restaurant in New York. And he went there so often 
at the business office at Time Inc. nicknamed him 42 oh. because he had lunch and dinner at 21 wow. every day for years. Wow. But um, he was a great storyteller too. And I think that um, all, all of us inherited from him a, a love of storytelling. Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, I, like I really feel like I've been blessed with the time I've lived in. Um, and, and I thought it was rich going into the seventies and eighties. And that was uh, obviously even before what's happened yeah. in the last 25 yeah. years with technology. Um, but I was always, uh, really interested in media. And so, but from, uh, the way that, uh, people communicate yeah so it yeah. started you know with magazines for me obviously television was in a huge were you in tv too medium no i never, never worked were television TV. until okay. my version of television was much later when i um helped start a, help get a company going called bright roll which was a video company on the internet right right do but, you, yeah, yeah mostly do, was print for me i have um a bunch of paths opening up inside me to want to follow here, but but I think it would be really helpful. Can you give us a less than sixty second uh, overview of your career? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, graduated from college, St. Lawrence University in upstate New York, in nineteen eighty. Uh, had had the opportunity to work at the Winter Olympics in Lake Placid for Sports Illustrated. Hmm. So out of that, and my dad worked at Time Inc. Mm -hmm. and and. Uh, he definitely helped me get a job at Time Inc., but in a more remote capacity. So I started out working for Time Inc., putting magazines up in supermarkets in Florida, <laughs> driving around and, you know, totally a complete traveling salesman's job, grocery store to grocery store, putting magazines up. Uh, so from there, I ended up getting into ad sales in New York okay. at People Magazine. Okay. And I worked there for 10 years. And then I basically, my whole career was in media advertising sales. I went from people to a startup newspaper called the National Sports Daily. Uh, that folded after a couple of years. I was thinking this yesterday when I was walking, thinking about this podcast. And I think my career is kind of similar to a lot of people's careers in the last 30 years. I worked for one company for 11 years. And then had 10 jobs in the next 11 years. Oh, wow. Really? And then finished out in three different jobs in about 10 years. Okay. But, you know, I was on, I, I experienced the kind of career where, you know, we, we obviously started our careers where you go to a company, you expend, you expend, expect to stand, right. spend, you know, 30 years there, right. get a pension, retire. And that all, that all blew up for me. Uh, earlier than some people. And I, and I was also <clears throat> looking back and thankful for that. So long story short, I, I went from Time Inc. to the National. Then I worked in the ad agency business for a while, but as a new business guy, so, which is a sales job. Yeah, yeah. Worked for a couple of great agencies, one in North Carolina, and then went out, and then I got uh, a job with J. Walter Thompson in, back in San Francisco okay. in 1996. And worked there for a year, and then I, worked to, and then I went to work at Wired Magazine. And that was a, another total changing point for me because that I got introduced to technology okay. in the Bay Area okay. yeah. when the internet was blowing up. Oh, so you're right there 1. for that. 1.0. God, you really have, like, you got I've a story, blessed. man. 
Wow. So, and then out of, out of Wired, you know, I, I learned, got an email address and <laughs> it learned about the World Wide Web and the information superhighway. <laughs> and then I went into uh, internet companies, five or, five or six of them. And I'm feeling it was a, book a ride coming, Charlie. It was a ride and a half. I'm feeling the Charlie book. <laughs> I, th- I think publishers listen up. You probably know plenty. Uh, I think it's time. I, it was a, just, I think what you said earlier, I have completely embraced th- <clears throat> in the stuff that I was exposed to. It wasn't always wonderful every day. I mean, I had, you know, my own struggles. I, I was, you know, a young father with kids and my jobs would end. I didn't know where the next one was coming from, but I just was, you know, I always felt that I could make a living doing anything. Cause I, I would have done anything. I would have worked in a garage or I, I've also felt that I could uh, always make a living in some kind of manual labor. I never, yeah. I've always been happy to do landscape work or house painting or yeah. you know any of that kind of stuff. What an, I just I'm just feeling it's what an interesting phrase make a living right. What an interesting phrase like. What were you, if you if if there's one thing or a handful of things, what were you living for as you as you worked and moved and had a family? What were you living for? Uh, you you hit on a really deep thing for me too because this goes back to my California days and the guys that I was around. They were in very non-traditional uh, work jobs. Yeah. And I always felt like I could do any non-traditional job and be, and not be, you know, humiliated or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, that it was... So I worked for money, but I never, I never was ob- obsessed with money. Um, and I was never that great at managing money, to be quite honest. Um, You know, I had to, I got married in 1985 at a fairly young age. I was 26. Yep. Um, And I didn't have children for about eight years. Uh, My first wife, ex-wife, it's odd for me to say that because I'm recently divorced. Um, you know, we worked together. She was a textile designer, really accomplished in that area. I was working to people, and so we were had we were doing really well as a mm-hmm. dinks, two income, no kids couple. Oh wow! Um, but then later on, as a you know, when I had children. Um, you know, I was the the breadwinner, and I was the single income yeah. earner. Yeah. And I again going back to Charles in charge mode. I just was going to get it done. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I, I'd be, I'm flooded at the moment with things that have influenced me, whether they came from books or movies or personalities. I'll go back again into the seventies and the, the actors that I found appealing were all sort of the, um, renegades or the, 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 not just bad boys, but guys that were going to just get it done. And I think of Warren Beatty hmm. in the movie Shampoo or Jack Nicholson or, uh, you know, my musical heroes are guys like Keith Richards. and um, So the badass. Waits, the, kind of the, the badass, bad boys. Tom Waits is one of my favorites too. But guys that are 
taking care of their own stuff and living the way they want to live. Yeah. I was watching something yesterday. Uh, one guy who I am in deeply, uh, deeply influenced by is Sam Shepard. Huh. He's the cowboy with the deep voice, right? Yeah, well, he's a cowboy. He was a playwright, oh. actor. He just died a couple weeks ago. and uh, <clears throat> But he was the also, I got into poetry. Again, this is all probably 70s based because guys like James Taylor and uh, huh. Richard Brodigan, who who's actually from Montana. He wrote a book called Trout Fishing in America that One I read One of my favorites. I love that book. Uh, I've read in college. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to be like all those guys, Chris Christopherson, hmm. kind of like cowboys, cowboys that were artists, poets, yeah. you know, uh, and, writers. Yeah, so why? What is it about that? I thought they were super, super cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I liked the combination yeah. of uh, outdoors. <laughs> so, you know, when I saw the expedition, uh, it was the perfect triangulation for me. <laughs> Out in the wilderness, in a a challenging hike, in a challenging emotional opportunity that I could journal about. Cool. So it was. So it had every, and I was like, sure, that's why I signed up so quickly, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was yeah. happy to be the first one. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, I so I share some of those uh, heroes, if you want to call them heroes or or figures, and. You know, one of my uh, one of my big goals and dreams here is to assert or raise up male figures in our culture that have a breadth of of offerings that you know aren't just your dominator in sports, but they also fill out the emotional, spiritual, familial, whatever it is. You know, like that's that's a big and I'll, I'll be straight with you, Charlie. It's I think very excited that you're here because I, I see you that way. I see you as a man who's had deep success and a wide, huge, wide range of life experience. You've gone through a lot and, and you, and what I hear you saying, not only in this moment, I felt it from you the first time we talked, but even since a child, like you have really embraced the, the range of life. And to me, that, uh, signifies health in many ways, not just physical health, but you know, health as a man. And, and, um, I don't know. So I just, I want to, I want to offer that back to you because, because, well, thanks. That's an, it's an enormous compliment because I think whenever it, and when I said this in, on the expedition too, when you go into the wilderness, there are no reflections, there are no mirrors, there are no windows to look at yourself. Yeah. There, there's no kind of vanity opportunities. And I got the same kind of feedback on the trip from the group, which I think any time that you get your deepest hopes of the kind of person you want to be, either affirmed or, or acknowledged, then, you know, for a moment I can feel like I'm being the man I want to be amazing so <clears throat> you're right there's no I haven't always been the man I want to be 
Well, that's that's kind of where I was headed was, um, yeah, on the trail, we don't look at our reflection in an actual mirror, but we look at it, we look and feel our reflection through the hearts and minds of other men, which is a very, very important um, community. What, like, I think that, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but one of the simple fundamental gifts of, of what we do in our groups and on our retreats is, is the, uh, if we go through life with only our conception of ourself and not ever taking seriously how other people feel us, we're missing out on a lot of really crucial information. Mm-hmm. And I was going to ask if you had people along your way as a man where you felt like you got real honest feedback or reflection of who you were and where you were. I was wondering if, if that was something you were able to find. Yeah. Um, I've got it. I was always in, in sports and one time I was, I'm trying to remember when it was sixth or seventh grade. Um, I had a coach tell me, uh, he said, the nice thing about you, Charlie, is that you're, you're really coachable. Mm. And I liked that, you know, I thought, that's so that was that was positive feedback but you know but i never took coaching or i never took feedback negatively sometimes it it was uncomfortable because i've gotten a lot of feedback that's not the kind of feedback i'm i was hoping to hear right right and but when you know i always felt i was coachable in sports and teachable in the classroom because i liked school and i was engaged so um I think wanting to learn and dropping your ego to learn are two are essential essential things. Mm, okay. Um, so yeah, I got good straightforward feedback from sports, good and bad, um, and I tried to take the constructive stuff and and just take and try to separate the stuff that hurts your feelings from the stuff that can make you better. Yeah. Uh, in business later on, uh, thankfully, uh, at Time Inc., which was a really, really fantastic company. It's a different company now, but when I worked there, it was in its heyday. Hmm. And they were a very empathetic company. So we would have, you know, regular reviews of your performance, not just annual. But it was a company that, that figured out that people's m- emotional state mattered. Wow, as much really? As their, Wow. Yeah, their productivity. So, you know, I got some very straight feed, feedback uh, as a young person in business, and it wasn't that positive. Uh, I wasn't doing that well. I wasn't, a, you know, I wasn't effective in my job. Huh. <clears throat> Partially because I thought I was doing great, and then I had a guy come come by. I love the. This was one of my first jobs. He came down and we worked in the field and we went through. I was thought that my pitch book was good. My delivery was great. I was closing, you know, deals and putting up racks, which I what we were supposed to do. And the day ended and he turned to me and said, I think you're the worst sales rep in our whole organization. Whoa. And I just floored me. And he said, uh, you don't let any, you don't listen one second huh. to anybody. Huh. He said, I kind of think you're, I think you're kind of an asshole. And I think you're not going to do very well in this job or any other job until you get out 
of yourself. Whoa. And he, whoa. And I really floored me. And floored in which direction? Well, because I'd never had anybody. One, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. So I thought I was doing a great job. My, and I was expecting him to say, you're doing a great job. And so, you know, my, I just got left hooked. Hmm. And, and it sat with me. So I did the typical thing, you know, kind of like licked my wounds. And then of course I went to the next stage of what douche he was and how could he say this to me? But then I finally sat back and said, you you should probably listen to what he had to say. Good for you. And at that point I started to realize that I'm going to have to take, I'm going to have to be more accountable for my actions. Hmm. And I wish I had taken that lesson to heart earlier because I ended up, I ended up in my thirties and forties getting in a a disproportionate amount of trouble for a maturing. Really? Yeah. Really? Drank too much got embarrassing situations, ended up getting DUIs, partied too much. You know, I, 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 I was always a big partier, probably from growing up, you know, in my, my environment. And I carried that attitude into early business and it was not helpful. Hmm. Got it. So I took a lot of feedback then about being a big uh, personality not a good listener, huh? Uh, a nice guy, fun guy, enjoyable to be around until you weren't. Got it. And I had some got kind it. of switch that would go off, and I just I went two floors higher than everybody else at the party. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I've yeah. had buddies of mine say things like, you know, they would, you know. There he goes again. Like he, no one's going to have a better time than you. Wow. And, you know, and so thankfully in the last few years, um, I really feel like I can be honest with myself Mm. when I'm being not the man I want to be. Um, since getting divorced three years ago, I had to take some serious stock of my, cause I was the reason we got divorced. Um, and I've, I've really spent a lot of time dealing with my role in that. It wasn't, in, you know, relationships that go in different directions are not the sole of cause or fault of one person. But in my case, I did not communicate well. Right, and it caused some real pain to people I, who I care for and love. Yeah. When you would go two floors higher than everybody else, where were you? Where would you go? What was that? I place? liked. I liked staying out. I liked socializing. I liked partying. Yeah. Because I like people, yeah. so I would look for the next, the next place that was open next person to talk to yeah next story to hear next experience to to to, to have 42 junior <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah uh, yeah not that not that different than my dad in that way 
Um, but I'm much different than my father in that um, his ego did not allow him to take much accountability Got for his actions. Yeah. <clears throat> and my sensitivity as a person did. Yeah. And I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that too. What? So what are you... What are you on the cusp of now, and what are you taking away from this week in the woods? Well, I, I do want to say again to you personally, what a blessing of an of an experience that was. Uh, I, I I can only imagine the time and preparation and expense that went into it, um, but beyond that, the you've shared with us that your vision, your desire or dream to have that event uh, and to stick with that and not let it just be a dream was a real uh, blessing. And I, I I said this on the trip and I feel this right now and I said this morning too, I have never felt more slowed down Mm -hmm. or more present in my life and I really feel like I'm at a point of calmness that I can be super productive and successful in things that to me are really like dreams cool cool Uh, I am on the cusp I, I ended my advertising media marketing internet technology career in 2015 with the successful sale of a company that I helped get going from the early and that was really satisfying to me as a business and when it ended and my marriage ended I took some time to really figure out think about I haven't figured it out yet think about what I want to do next yeah and I I want to try something that is more dreamy for me cool and uh i don't you know i need to make money to make a living um but i'm not at all driven by that my real interests these days are uh agriculture and urban agriculture cool i would like to have an a life that is more um idea and maybe art driven mm-hmm uh, I'm hopefully going to close on a parcel of land a couple hours outside New York that's a big old horse farm. So I'm going to have some some land to roam and cut down trees and make stuff in the woods. And That's, su- that's such a man <laughs> thing. I want to go cut some trees. <laughs> and, uh, and But also Get like it. maybe make, make some art cool. in the woods. Cool. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, and I feel like a college kid again because I'm out of school, or I'm, I have, I can do anything I want. And unlike a 22 year old, I feel like I have enough like skills now that I can actually figure out what I want. Right. Right. So, but yeah. I do feel like a college kid. Like I have a lot of options. And I don't know exactly which direction to go. Um, and, and one of the other things I really love to do and I love, and I 
I'm going to dive even more deeply into it, is mentoring young people, not spe- not specifically men, but yeah, kids yeah. get out of college these days and they seem terrified to me, and I'm trying to ease. I want to ease that terror. That's amazing. Yeah, I think for good reason they're terrified. Things are upended. The paths are not quite so clear these days, and, and the pressure. I feel like. You know, I grew up in that time when it was sort of like, you, you know, uh, more people were checking out than checking in. And I think kids today have such an enormous pressure to find su- financial success immediately. Yeah. That that's all they think about. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I just want to give them some other options that, that to, to more to follow your passion because you'll be more successful. Mm-hmm. And try not to worry about the money, which, but they're coming out of school in much different situations. They they all have debt before they even start working. Yeah, not all of them. But yeah, they have tougher challenges. And I and personally, even though I've been involved in technology and the internet from early, early get go, I I have real uh, mixed emotions about what technology has done to society. Uh, it's certainly done some amazing things, but I think we're we're starting to see some of the side effects of isolation yeah, and yeah. technology, you know, social media to me is almost a oxymoron uh, because yeah. it's not particularly social. Yeah. Um, but anyway, not to, not to wander. No, no, that's not wandering. I think that's, uh, I think what I feel and I, and I felt this the whole trip and I expressed it to you in different ways. Um, but uh, we need you, man. Like you having a, like embraced life through the through the ages that you have embraced it through 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 the chunk of of our history that that you've lived through and really lived and that's and that's what I feel so clearly like you really lived you know you know there's I've got the the scars to prove it <laughs> and the trophies yeah. for for lack of a better because there there's some truly shining pieces that I earned along the way from living like that. Yeah. yeah. And and there's plenty of n- not very attractive scars. Yeah. But that's, you know, I'm like a um, I'm like an animal that that you know, you see that's the older, you know, generation of that breed, you know, guys, yeah. old bears in the woods <laughs> have their scars. The sharks in the ocean that are still around, you know, have their yeah. marks. And, and I feel like that too. Cool. Uh, and bald, being bald is probably one of those <laughs> badges. <laughs> well, how about you wrap us up here? Bring us to the most present moment that you had on the, the trip and, and actually try to bring the audience there with us. What was the moment? that what is one it couldn't be the but a moment that really just stood out for you what was that one moment that i really remember and for me it was a another level of of all that i was seeking and it was a level of calmness and serenity and uh, connection to the earth and disconnection from the anxiety of everyday living and it was on our, it was when we woke up and we were in the big field in the morning and we did the deep meditation. 
Mm. I think it might have been. It was, it was when we had talked about going under the earth. Yeah. And I think it was the combination of the early morning and the sun coming up, and my, after a couple rounds of sharing, I had cried hard. I was, and I felt that kind of complete, wonderful emptiness that you get from crying hard. Yeah. And that morning when we were meditating and you took us into a deep meditation and I remember the, the, um, the, I'm not sure what the right word is, the instruction to go beneath the earth. I think I told you this later on. I honestly felt like I was on a board in the way that they bury people at like soldiers at sea where they mm. just drop the plank and the body bag slips off back backwards uh face up i literally felt like i was being dropped into the middle of the earth in a vessel like a like a tube huh. and it was a wonderful sense of calm serenity and i thought to myself i'm gonna die peacefully and that felt so um it's like the total i had i have absolutely no fear mm. of passing from this earth yeah and I think that is an amazing feeling because I don't fear like that, that happening. Yeah. So I can, I, I heard an expression last year when, uh, two years ago when Cheryl Sandberg lost her husband and her beautiful, beautiful, um, eulogy to her husband, she invoked a Hebrew prayer and the translation is, don't die while you're living. And ever since I heard that or read it, it's been kind of my um, operating mantra. And so I feel closer to that notion after this week than ever. And, uh, and I'm really excited. I think the, my last thing that I shared with the group was that I feel like I want to have this. I'm. In, I think my next chapter is going to be a combination of learning and teaching. Yeah. And I don't know what form that's going to take. Whether it's going to be formal instruction academically, or maybe a paid program of training. Yeah. But it's going to be something that I learn and teach. And the third aspect of it is going to be some kind of healing, helping, um, uh, hoping wow. element to it. Yeah. And and I'll, the, what comes to mind is maybe hospice. Like I might become like trained to be a hospice worker. Amazing. Uh, or I might go deeper into mentoring and teaching. Yeah. Um, so amazing brother feeling. <laughs> thank you thank you Dan yeah thanks for listening everybody I am gonna listen to this one a couple 
times back myself. Um, I love this dude and I, I can't wait to get to know him even more. So if you could take a minute, um, if you haven't yet, uh, find us on Instagram. We're underscore every man underscore. That's kind of an, I don't know, whatever. seems like an awkward handle, but whatever. It's, it is what it is. Uh, Facebook, um, you can look into our upcoming retreat this December. Um, and yeah, man, I don't know what else to say. I, I'm, uh, I'm just feeling really good. I'm feeling really happy and excited just to keep going with this. And, um, I guess the last thing I'd say is, is I'd love to hear from you. You can write in dan at everyman.co. Um, what do you want to hear more of? Who do you want, who do you want me to have as a guest? Do you have anybody in your life you think would be a great guest? Are you a great guest? Um, just curious. I'd, I'd love to hear more from you guys about what, what you want, what you need, what you feel. Um, and I want to be able to, to support that. So have a great week. Uh, we may be putting out a couple podcasts this week to make up for last. Well, maybe, I don't know. We'll see, but, um, take care.